1: Newspaper since 1971.
2: All right. Uh, I guess we'll get rolling. Thanks to everybody for coming out uh, for First Tuesdays uh, with Maya and Ben. I'm Maya Dukmasova. This is Ben Jarofsky. Uh, our show today is devoted to the public transit crisis that our city and our region is currently apparently experiencing. So um, we really appreciate all the interest in this program. Uh, we'll introduce our guests in a second. But I just wanted to say one more time, if you um, already got a ticket online before coming, thank you so much. If you haven't checked in with Howard, do so before you leave, um, just so we can keep track of how what kind of turnout we get from the tickets we sold online. And if you didn't get a ticket online beforehand, that's also fine. Um, there is a donation jar that Howard has. So if you feel so inclined, if you enjoy what what we've got for you today, um, give us a couple bucks, whatever, whatever you feel is fair. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, uh, we hope to continue seeing you all if you're new to the show. If you've been here before, I see a lot of familiar faces. Thank you so much for coming out again and continuing to support us. Um, all right, so uh, our guests tonight are transit activist, organizer, uh, and researcher, Linda Lopez. Let's give her a hand, and uh, state rep and mayoral, recent mayoral candidate, and also a transit advocate, Cam Buckner. And so, not not everybody in the audience might be familiar with you guys or your work. Uh, so, just before we really get into the nitty gritty of things, can uh, both of you guys um, talk about uh, who you are, what you do, and how you got wh- why you're passionate about public transit? Um, Cam, we can start with you.
3: Sure. Well, first off, good good evening, everybody, um, and thank you uh, to Maya and Ben for for having us. And Linda, it's a pleasure to be uh, sitting here with you talking. Uh, about what I think is one of the most important things um, uh, in our our civil society. Uh, my name is Cam Buckner. I have the pride and the privilege of representing the 26th District in the Illinois House of Representatives. The district is situated completely in the city of Chicago and it encompasses neighborhoods like South Chicago, South Shore, Washington Park, Bronzeville, uh, High Park, Kenwood, uh, Downtown, River North Streeterville, and the Gold Coast. So it's one of the most diverse districts in the entire state of Illinois. Uh, And I come to this work as a person who has uh, worked in the government and public uh, sphere for for a while uh, in many different iterations, but um, as somebody who really thinks that transit and mobility is a human rights issue, right? And I I talk a lot about it uh, in my work in Springfield. I've talked about it a lot when I ran for mayor of Chicago, but um, transit is such an intersectional issue. thing and it really uh, brings folks together and so uh, my earliest memories uh, of the CTA uh, was riding with my father at at a young age it was a treat to to me to be able to ride the red line from start to finish and back and forth the the 103 west bus from our house in Roseland Uh, and so um, it's really a a dream come true for me to be able to be an advocate in this space and to talk about it in a way um, that can effectuate some change and, and be able to help bring public policy. Uh, to the fore to to uh, make sure this is a more mobile um, and more inclusive city. So thank you for having me.
2: And just so folks know, you are part of Brandon Johnson's transition team now uh, and really working on transportation issues with the new mayoral administration too.
3: Yeah, so I, I, I um, uh, am one of the co-chairs on the transportation <laughs> subcommittee uh, of Mayor Johnson's uh, tra- transition team. That's a lot of T's. Transportation <laughs> subcommittee of the transition team. Um, and we've been doing some really, really, I think, forward-looking work on how we take this inflection point on where we are as a city from a transit standpoint and, and find a way to move us forward.
4: All right, Melinda? Okay, can you hear me? Okay. <laughs> I'm always subconscious so I'm short, if I could reach the mic. But <laughs> uh, so, I, yeah, just to give you some context about what, why I came to the transit space, um, part of it's very personal. I grew up... In a household without a car so we walked everywhere i think that's part of a lot of like immigrant family stories in chicago so we walked everywhere and then i took buses and when i got my first job after high school in logan square the boys and girls club uh it was my first time commuting by bike so i would bike from hermosa to logan square so i've always been kind of like on foot or transit trains biking um so that was kind of a personal component and after college, I got really involved with housing organizing in Logan Square and Humboldt Park um, around 2015, and it was a lot of it was intersecting around mobility and transportation. So, like for example, like transit-oriented development, it was kind of booming around 2015, 2016. The 606 opened in 2015, so I think without intending, I kind of being interested in housing, and I was also interested in like transportation because it was so it was so inextricable at the time. Um, all the issues we were seeing. So I started writing about it, and I started writing for Streets Blog. So it kind of like turned into more work after that. Um, I became the Southwest Side Representative for the May- Mayor's Bike Advisory Council. Um, I was also recently a co-chair for the Transportation Equity Network, an advocacy manager with the Active Transportation Alliance, where I co-authored a report on uh, like, um, transportation equity a couple years ago. So I've been doing a lot of work in this space. Uh, I didn't necessarily intend to get into this space, but it was kind of a combination of personal experiences and uh, just being really interested about how transportation fits in with a lot of the other social issues in Chicago. Um, I think transportation mobility is such at, at the center of a lot of things we talk about. Um, so that's kind of why I became a transportation advocate, writer, researcher.
5: All right, uh, before we uh, start off asking the question, Chair, just I, I realize a lot of people who showed up here today probably have questions that you want to ask as well. So Maya and I just want to assure everybody, uh, at some point, relatively early for us, uh, we will uh, turn it over to the audience if you have questions. I see a lot of people here who I suspect have questions uh, that they want to ask and get in the record. And I'll let you know. Uh, Dave Glowatz here is, is recording this for uh, my podcast, so this will be dropped on the podcast as well. Uh, all right, Cam, we'll start with you uh, on this question. Uh, and uh, I know your work on the transition team is probably bringing you face-to-face with the money situation. Yeah. And uh, that's been sort of like a subterranean message throughout the mayor campaign and the post-campaign uh, uh, days that there's a crisis on the horizon, uh, that we're facing a, a serious fiscal crisis if money doesn't come in soon from somewhere. Uh, so why don't you uh, lay out as, as best you can uh, the fiscal reality uh, that the CTA is facing before we get into the more specific issues?
3: Yeah, so uh, the CTA and METRA and PACE find themselves uh, nose-to-nose with a fiscal cliff that's looming, Right. Uh, and that fiscal cliff is, depending on what estimates you listen to, somewhere between seven hundred million and a billion dollars. Um, there are a few different uh, issues on on kind of how we get there, but uh, one being the um, the way that the Illinois law is written today. Uh, it's called the fair box recovery ratio. So fifty percent of CTA operating uh, dollars has has to come from the fair box, right? Now, the problem with that is uh, if ridership is down, it doesn't allow us to kind of fully realize uh, the the funds we need in that space, right? And we know that post-pandemic, that ridership has dropped down to a pretty abysmal and dismal number. Uh, And so that has uh, the the mandate to do that from a state standpoint really slows down some of the development that we can do at CTA. And so what we did during the pandemic was that we uh, suspended the fare box recovery ratio in Springfield until the year 2023. So, in 2020, that sounded like a long way away, 2023, but here we are. Um, so, what we were able to do again in this last session, and I carried the bill to do this, was to extend that suspension of the fare box recovery ratio a little bit longer. Um, there are also some other issues uh, at the fore. So, there's about $350 million that uh, those three agencies, CTA, Metro and PACE, the the agencies that make up RTA, the Regional Transit Authority, uh, get from the federal government. Now, based on some very kind of old, antiquated um, federal rules that came from the Reagan administration back in the 1980s, um, those uh, urbanized formula funds, which is what they're called, uh, cannot go to anything but capital and infrastructure, right? And so we know we got a, a big trillion dollar infrastructure bill that's going to take care of some of that. We would love to use some of that money to do other things. Um, and the Biden administration has talked about easing up on some of those rules. Uh, and so hopefully that can uh, assuage well that can that can um, lessen the blow, I think uh, on this fiscal clip. But I think the biggest thing is that Springfield um, will probably have to kick in more, Springfield and Washington DC. Uh, as a as a state representative, what I can tell you is that I think Springfield is ready. To try to help soften the blow on the fiscal cliff, but what Springfield needs to hear uh, from the CTA uh, is what they're going to do differently, uh, because we want to don't want to throw good money after be- good money after bad. Is that how you say it? Um, good money after bad, uh, and there has to be a plan. We're at an inflection point. We got some real challenges as a agency. It, it does, but we have some real opportunities as well. And so, I think what uh, m- uh, me and my counterparts in Springfield are looking for from um, this administration and, and, and this, this CTA is a clear and plan forward on what they're going to do differently um, in order to deal with that fiscal cliff.
2: So, just so uh, I'm also clear on this so, by law in Illinois, the CTA, 50% of the funding for CTA and PACE and Metra has to come from the riders' fares. That's right. And the other 50% of the funding is a combination of federal money, state money.
3: Yep, federal Either. money state money grants um, you know those type of things that they can carry today but um, it, it, it it's a bit of an antiquated um, and I you know, I get why we did that years ago why um, because listen it was if you if your bottom line depends on ridership then you'll do a better job at service maybe right <laughs> to make sure that you're getting the money that you need but as we find ourselves in this um, this post-2020 world, I think we've got to relook at that and see uh, how we better fund this system, but also the system has to be able to be more reliable and do what it's supposed to do for the people.
2: And when you say Springfield wants to know what CTA will do differently, I mean, if it's the pandemic that's to blame for the ridership crisis, is it fair to ask the CTA to do something differently? Like, what could they be doing differently? What What kind of signals... Uh, is Springfield looking for in order to
3: throw more money? Well, I, I would posit that the the pandemic didn't break CTA. The pandemic revealed what was already broken, mm-hmm. and uh, there are things that, as the the second largest transit uh, agency in the in the country, and, and therefore one of the largest transit agencies in the world, uh, there are things that uh, the CTA can and should have been doing, not just to prepare for a pandemic, because who knew that was coming, right, Uh, but to uh, be a catalyst for growth in Chicago, right, to find ways to um, uh, just not be old and obsolete and antiquated, right, and and I think that uh, now that we see where the inequities are and where the the broken places are, um, Springfield, and I think Washington, D.C. as well, well are are asking uh, CTA in Chicago and and our transit agencies, what are you going to do differently?
5: So Linda, why don't you jump in here, because, uh, uh, by the way, I just want to say about the question you asked. In the time when the, when the CTA and RTA was funded, there was very much political pressure from outside of Chicago. I may be the only person with the exception of Ken Davis who remembers this, uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, there was a lot of political pressure about not bringing money to Chicago unless Chicago carried its weight. So uh, this was very much the stitched together deal that only a few of us, uh, can remember. Uh, and, uh, so do you buy, uh, into this narrative in general that there's more, uh, that the CTA, CTA could and should be doing to build ridership in order to uh, assure, uh, the state that, um, it's not a waste of money to invest in it?
4: Well, that's for me. Yes. <laughs> um, that's a great question. I, I do think that the CTA has a role to play in terms of, I mean, I, I, like some people would say, they're not an advocacy organization, but at the same time, if they want, this, they want like they want them to be sustainable and functionally running. I do think that there should be more of an advocacy component to what they're doing to actually ask for more money, like be at the front lines of ask, like how do we stay alive? Um, like I saw recently, San Francisco. A lot of advocates had like a funeral procession for. uh, for the BART and for other transit agencies that are going to die if the state doesn't uh, intervene. So I do think that the CTA has a role to play. Like they can't just take a back seat. Um, I think they do have to uh, think more about how they can align with people that are doing a lot of um, organizing work and other advocates that are calling for this. Um, I would hope that they would be more at the forefront of, um, of the advocacy
2: and i'm curious linda do you do you agree with cam that the pandemic didn't break the cta but it revealed what was already broken um do you if you agree like what were those things that were broken and if not like what what's your perspective on it
4: yeah I, i've been a lifelong transit writer i def i don't think that the pandemic broke the cta i think that it I think it amplified a lot of issues and exasperated. I I think a lot more people are paying attention to transit in a way that, for me, it felt a, sometimes felt really niche to, like, care about transit issues. Like, there were certain people that um, talked about it, but now, I don't know if people would agree with this perception, it feels a little more mainstream. Like, everyone seems to be talking about transit. That feels a little unique to me. Um, I, I don't know if it's just that it's gotten... Immensely worse. I think there probably are things that have gotten worse when you ride transit. It def- like trains feel dirtier. Um, they sometimes ride uh, uh, like run slower depending on what buses you're taking. Um, there's definitely things that you notice that feel more amplified since the pandemic. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think there some of it's perception, some of it's reality. Um, I but I, I don't think uh, yeah I, I don't think that they're necessarily new. Um, I. Yeah, I, like, we were just talking for the panel. I Just writing CTA for, for like, a long time. Um, I, yeah, I, like, ghost buses were always a thing. We didn't really have... We didn't call it ghost buses. Yeah. I think there's just la- more language to things that we've experienced. I think peop- a lot of people in Chicago have probably dealt with really bad transit forever. They just probably never saw it as <laughs> something you advocate for. I think that's also different. Like, how many... Like growing up here, it was always a thing to just make fun of CTA. Like it's, it's kind of like a thing that it's like bad. Like it's oh yeah, it's it's oh the CTA is late. Like, but now I think it's, something has shifted in terms of people seeing it as something that people have to organize for, and I I think that's unique. Um, I, the pandemic probably it just I think more people are seeing ways that parts of our lives are not functionally correctly, and I think it's maybe politicized more people where. You are seeing things like transit uh, be more at the forefront of people's, people's issues, um, but I don't know if it was like, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily new as someone that's like engaged with transit for a very long time.
5: Well, all right, I'd love to get uh, your both of your thoughts, start with you, Cam, on this point in terms of the CTA being any different today than it was when I first moved to Chicago in 1981. I, I mean, memory's a funny, tricky thing. But I would say no, but I definitely feel the politicization of everything in the city of Chicago. So, uh, Rosanna's here, we were just talking about this. It's like the fight for um, asylum seekers uh, in the city of Chicago. It's like that is a political fight uh, that's being used by MAGA to expose, make score political points about blue cities like Chicago, in particular Chicago, because Obama began his political career in Chicago. Chicago's easy to pick on. And now I'm watching MAGA pick up a crusade on crime on the CTA. And my first action is like, MAGA, what do you care about? <laughs> Where have you ever been anywhere? Some heavy lifting for the city of Chicago. But it's, and now it's like a constant refrain. Any any crime on the CTA is highlighted. Crime, it's out of control. The CTA is dangerous. And, uh, the, you know, like uh, uh, old boy Cast, John Cass, Cam's favorite columnist, uh, <laughs> just kidding. He put out this tweet today. Someone was Frank, yes, sent it to me. And it's like, would Brandon Johnson allow his daughter to write in the CTA details on my, just hit this link. <laughs> Boilers in Indiana, by the way. So, I mean, Cam, is it real? You know what I'm saying? Like, is like the breakdown of the CTA real, or is it something that we've always dealt with that they're messing with our brain and gaslighting us with their MAGA rhetoric? Your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I, I think Linda hit the nail on the head when she talked about um, the issues that have already always and already existed on on the system. Um, but there seems to be a bit of a paradigm shift, right? So you, you do have folks using these things to score political points, uh, but you also have folks who don't subscribe to MAGA theology uh, that are, are doubling down on why we need to invest in these things in, in the proper way, right? Um, unfortunately, we've got a long history of uh, neglecting uh, public transit, public housing, public education, public health. You put public in front of something, it means poor, and it means it sucks, right? Um, And so I think the demand now to shift away from that uh, is really uh, evident. But I think what also is evident, once again, we talk about the intersectionality uh, of transit. uh, And while there may be folks on the right who want to use this as a wedge uh, issue to scare folks, to drum up fear, and to divide uh, those of us who are well-meaning and and, uh, forward-thinking, Um, if we can fix transit in this city or any city in America, uh, then we can deal with a lot of the issues that are surrounding us, right? I say this all the time if you show me a public transit system that has a crime issue, I can show you a city that has a public safety issue because it's not investing in the things that it needs to invest in. If you show me a city that has an issue with the unhoused, I will definitely show you a city with a housing issue. If you show me a city who has uh, not done the proper things when it comes to mental health and environmental justice, or you show me, show me is a, a transit system that has some environmental justice and some uh, mental health uh, issues that uh, be, beset it, I can show you cities who have not taken those things seriously. right? And so, um, we got a real opportunity, I think, through CTA to deal with some of those issues of the past and to not uh, let safety on this system be the political football. The last thing I'll say is not take up too much time, is that the the public safety issue on CTA is actually a ridership issue. People commit crimes in places where no one exists. And so if we can find a way to make the system more attractive, more effective, to run on time, to be clean, to be reliable, the crime will go down. Your
4: thoughts? Yeah, that's a a really great point. Um, And I I was thinking about this this idea of how do you make transit safer without more criminalization? And that's a really tough question. People always say, well, without police, how do you get safety? Um, and so I was looking at different examples. And I, th- I think LA, there's an organization called Act LA. They, they published this report called um, Metro as Sanctuary. And I really like the way they talk about safety. And I think it's similar to what Cam is saying with creating kind of like transit ecosystems that there's visibility, there's, they, there's plans, there's people engaging, there's, uh, there's visible like there's people engaging with you, like workers, where it's like a whole ecosystem where people feel safer. And I, I think I really like the vision of that because I think, that's, I think that's where we get closer to thinking about what safety can look like without merely putting more policing. How do we create tra- transit stations as hubs, which is really hard to think about because it just feels like something where you go in and out, you get on a train, you leave. So it's very transitory. But I feel like in order to create more safety, then I, I think we need to think about it more as I really like it as sanctuary, as as hubs, as communities, and uh, as places where people like engage further than just passing through. Um, and I, I I like the vision of that, and I feel like they're I, I I feel like they're reaching further than the a lot of the ways we conceptualize transit. Because um, I think transit for me feels very, I don't, it feels like very sometimes very uh, yeah transitory is the right word. Like you're just passing through. Uh, but I, I think in order to get more safety, how do we think about more connectivity instead of just strangers riding a bus together, riding a train together, like we don't know each other? Um, and I think in that sense, uh, it's easier to think about those places that won't feel safe because y- you don't know the person next to you. you feel unsafe next to them. Uh, they're going to hurt me. So I, I, there is something to thinking about how do we create community which I know it's hard to think about, but I really, I really like the vision of thinking about that.
2: Well, I, I'm curious, you know, to, to get your thoughts uh, about, like, some specifics. So, you know, I'm, if you've heard ideas on on this issue or, um, yeah, just thinking about, like, a typical writer's experience and what might make the CTA, the CTA uh, like, unpleasant at this moment and how can they advocate for solutions to this problem uh, that aren't just knee-jerk, maybe criminalization reactions. So, if you ride the CTA, you have probably had the experience of getting on the car and it's been hot-boxed recently. I don't think I have been on the red line in the last year and a half to two years where it wasn't very clear, like somebody wasn't just smoking right there or just had recently smoked there. <laughs> And uh, I, I, you know, it's unfortunately not just a pleasant smell of herbs. It's like usually like quite a bit heavier than that, uh, and, and and it really affect. I mean, it's a, it's like a, you know, relative. It's it's an annoyance. It's an it's an annoying thing that impacts the basic quality of your commute when somebody is like smoking on the car. All right. So people's, I, I think a lot of people's knee jerk reaction to that is like, where, why? Where are the cops? Like, what are we doing about this? How can we get people to stop smoking on the train? So if somebody, and because of that unpleasant uh, factor, uh, a lot of people might say, you know what, I'm not gonna, I'm I'm gonna opt for a different uh, transit option because I just don't wanna be dealing with that. I'm not even talking about people who are uncomfortable around unhoused people. I'm just talking about the smoking. So so, um, what, like what is the solution to that? What do we do – I mean, before the pandemic, I don't remember this being, like, that heavy of an issue, like, system-wide. Sometimes it would happen, but it wasn't as systematic as it feels now that, like, you're really lucky if the car hasn't been smoked in recently, if that's not part of your commute. Okay. So, like, what what is the solution to that? What can people – demand from their public officials what can they organize for amongst their communities to like get it back to at least where it was before where that's you know where, where the smoked in car is not your typical experience of the train um, and yeah what is there is there a solution to this that doesn't involve criminalizing people
4: that's a, that's a tough question. Um, and the I think... broken
2: windows people, I feel like, <laughs> are having a field day over this. Because yeah. this is the kind of thing that those, you know, those folks would point to and say, like, you see, this is like a small thing that we need to criminalize because it leads to, you know, more intense crime because people don't like
4: being on smoked in cars and they're riding less and then we'll have more heavy crime. Yeah. And I, I and I think people, people don't want to hear long, sometimes like long-term versus short-term and I think part of it is, it goes back to ridership. There's I do think that that's yeah trains. I don't experience that as much on buses, but true. Like whenever I get on a train, I just kind of expect it. And um, short term, I would say yeah. Like if you want someone removed, it's hard to imagine without like without a police officer. Long term, I do think it goes back to ridership. There's just I I rode the pink line the other day at 6 p.m. It was pretty empty, and I was pretty surprised. And same, it was smelled, but I've kind of gotten used to it. Not not to say it should be like that, but with a lot less riders, those things are going to keep happening. And I think part, I think we need to address how do we get more people riding transit again? But how um, do you get more people riding transit
2: if people are like, damn, I don't want to get on the train. True. It's gonna smell like smoke.
4: Yeah, and I, and I know the CTA has talked about that they're trying to keep, they're trying to institute more cleanliness. I, I don't know how, how effective that is. I, I don't dyes, think I've... They're all yeah, I mean, I haven't seen the improvements. Um, so, I think part of that also goes back to c t how do you keep these places cleaner where I think part of it i think when you see something that looks good, you want to respect it, but when something 's really dirty, you kind of want to keep like you you don 't you don 't feel that same respect so i I think there is something too when people get on a train car that 's already dirty like maybe you don 't you don 't feel like it matters and i it's somewhat, I think part of that is also like psychological like what places do you respect versus disrespect and i think transit right now is a place that people disrespect. They don't They don't see it as a place where, like, you nurture, you have to take care of it. You kind of just see it as, like, well, I have to get on because I have to get somewhere else. And with that kind of mentality, then um, we're going to kind of see that perpetuation of those kind of behaviors where, like, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I disrespect the person next to me. It's, like, a very uh, disconnected way of interacting with the space.
3: Yeah. I think that this is a, again a perfect example of the the microcosm of the city that Chicago that that CTA is right. Um, if you show me a transit system where everybody's smoking weed, I can show you a city where people are smoking more weed. Um, it it and, would be and, great if it was just weed. I agree. That's a pleasant well, that's smell. A, that's a relatively that's speaking. That's a different. You know, yeah. Um, but 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 no, I say that to say, uh, you know, the initial conversation that we begin having here about why ridership is not necessarily the silver bullet or the panacea, but it it, it does change so many things. Um, the train cars are, are emptier than they used to be. Um, and I think that that does have a direct correlation on the fact that you're seeing people do things on the system that they would not normally do, uh, would, that they would not normally do when there are people around. Now, I don't know how to, um, how to fix everything, I mean, make sure that no one's ever doing this on the train, but if ridership and reliability is, is our focus, and we find a way to get that back up, um, I think these things go hand in hand. And I think you're right, Maya, As a chicken and an egg thing, like you know, one can one come without the other. Uh, but also, you know, from a security standpoint and a safety standpoint, uh, I think we have opportunities to do things differently. Uh, there are thirty thousand cameras on the system, right? And uh, those cameras, unfortunately, are not uh, integrated into one single security platform, uh, and so. There are some things that you can change with that. I've also talked about making sure that we have a, uh, a text line where you can send contemporaneous uh, complaints right as they happen uh, on the train. Because what we hear, all of us who, who ride the system, we hear all the time. If you see something, say something. But say something to who? Right. That's a question. And I've seen people tweet about issues that are. Happening happening on trains, and the response from the agency often is, you know, push the red button on your car so I can get the hell beat out of me by the person who's doing this thing. (laughs) That makes no sense to any of us who are really paying attention, right? And so um, there, there, there are things we can do differently. We can talk about transit ambassadors, like, like you know, they're doing that in a lot of different cities as well. We should be on the cutting edge of, of how to address these things differently. We are not the only city in the country having these same conversations right now. But I do think Chicago should be leading on on how to get it right.
5: Well, clearly, uh, I think it's about time we should open it up uh, to some of the audience. There's a lot of people here that I'd love to hear from. But (laughs) this is going to be unpopular. But it's going to cost money to bring people back to the trains. And uh, so anything, like if you say the, the trains are dirty, so you should clean the trains more. So it's going to cost money to tre- clean the trains more. You're going to have to hire somebody to clean the trains. If you say you're you're afraid to get on the trains because people are unruly, and if you, you want to stop short of putting a policeman on every train, which you probably couldn't afford anyway, then you want to have ambassadors. Whatever an ambassador is will cost money. So everything's going to cost money. It's like in business, what do they call it, a loss leader? You have to put something up with the idea you're going to get something back. And in this, client, in this climate camp, can you make that case? Uh, in this climate, can you make the case in Springfield where you could say to people uh, of the Republican persuasion or even some Democrats uh, from the suburbs uh, who may be uh, not inclined to invest in Chicago, don't worry, if we invest now you'll see some uh, benefits down the road with the CTA.
3: Yeah, number one, this is why Springfield and Chicago have to work hand in hand. Uh, For the last few years, we have not had that that relationship where we're working in lockstep, and I think the the entire state has suffered from it. So that's number one. Uh, But number two, absolutely, CTA, when it's operating as its best self, should be and can be a tool for economic development and growth in the city of Chicago. When we talk about... People around the world who want to live in a place where they can move freely without um, having to have a car. Uh, Linda says she grew up in a, in a family without a, a, a automobile. Twenty five percent of Chicago households have no no automobile. Um, when I talk to people on the system, people who move here from places like New Hampshire and Vermont, uh, young people, millennials, they say they moved to Chicago. They moved to Chicago because it's cleaner than New York, right? And we know that. There are some parts of Chicago that not, not they're not as clean as clean as they used to be, but also because they don't need a car to move around, right? Um, and so when, when you look at I think the new ethos in this country post pandemic, people are like I can live anywhere, um, and I want to go to a place where I can move around freely and not have uh, to have the hindrance or the burden of having a vehicle. Uh, this can grow Chicago economically, and I've always talked about the fact that we have to grow our population. The answer to Chicago's fiscal woes. It's not taxing more people. It's more people to tax, right? It's it's expanding our our tax base. And the way you do that is making this an attractive place. We have to start adhering to a standard of livability, not survivability. We need livability in Chicago.
2: So okay, um, for questions, if folks could come up here, and that way they can ask their questions on the mic, that would be great. just a reminder: we are recording the show, so speak, speak into the, speak into the mic, uh, and and uh, try to keep your question concise. Um, as folks are lining up, I just wanna, I just wanna ask one more thing. Uh, I don't know if either of you guys have an answer for this, but uh, thinking about other large metropolitan transit systems around the world, I mean, I guess I'm more familiar with like other major European cities, say. There's not a single city in Europe that I know about that has a 24/7 transit system where the metro is operating 24/7. And in the time every day that the few hours a night that the transit system is shut down in London or Paris or other big cities, that's the time when there's work on the trains, when there's less you know that, that there's less money spent on certain aspects of operating the system. Things can be repaired, cleaned, like why does a city like chicago with a population that's not exactly been growing you know at at, at a huge pace like why do we have a 24/7 metro system is it do we do we get more than it costs us is that like a potential solution out there any conversations about limiting the service so that you can make the trains cleaner for the rush hour commute
4: yeah that's a hard question um i think I just think of a lot of, I think of the people that wouldn't be able to get to work without the train, like, and how it connects to those job hubs like O'Hare. Um, I, I see the point of not shutting it down, it makes it probably harder to clean, maintain, um, but I, I do think that so many people rely on it, the, like 25% of Chicagoans without cars, um, those essential workers, especially, you know, also that language came into play when the pandemic started. How do they get to work if it's not 24-7? Um, like, one of my brothers also, like, sometimes rides the bus early. So I see the point, but I also just think about the many people that rely on it. Um, but I, I would agree that it probably makes, it more, there's, makes additional challenges.
3: Yeah. Um, so quick story. I, I didn't realize that the 24-hour transit system was not something that was um, widely seen around the world. Uh, until I got stuck uh, in Seoul, Korea, waiting for the train. And it's like, the train ain't coming, dude. You better start walking uh, at 3 o'clock in the morning, right? Um, And so that happened. But um, listen, uh, at the end of the day, when we take an assessment of CTA and where it is, we need to make sure that we have uh, trains and buses going where people are, right, and going where people want to go. But Linda's absolutely right. There are too many people in this city who are, working the the third shift and and the late nights that need to find a way to get to where they're going uh, we reversed the flow of a river 123 years ago y'all if we can't clean up trains what people are on them what's wrong with us can clean them up when they're in the trains with you. this bathroom right here is going to stay clean tonight and this place is going to stay open yes there is a way to do it
6: okay can you hear me Yes. Uh, yeah. This is a great open discussion. Thanks for opening up. Um, we're very privileged. I, I'm a, a CTA bus operator of, of 17 years. Um, I drive, have driven the 93 bus here just 50 feet away. Um, I'm uh, also elected by my coworkers to be their executive board member of the union just four blocks from here at North Park Garage. Uh, so there's actually several people here who are combined rail operators, bus operators, This is a real treat that you can hear directly from some of us, some of our concerns. So I've heard lots of questions and discussions about this, but a few of us have some real plans for for shaking this up. Um, The first thing the public really needs to know is it's really a war uh, in the trenches. I've been a shop steward for three terms. It's a war between management and the workforce. uh, And that war needs to spill over into the community and we need to join forces with the people who need public transportation to go to war against the people who currently run the Chicago Transit Authority and PACE. There needs to be an investigation, thorough union, worker, and community investigation of exactly where they're spending the money, right? And, and set, many people may need to go to jail. There may be, may be some people who are running to Florida, like, like Berg, right? Cop, torture, Berg. And that need to get out of the CTA, and there needs to be a fundamental revolution, not a reform, like, can we get a few people on the board and so on? They need to, we need to rip it up. And the most important thing, the most important transition isn't like how frequently the buses are going and so on. It's worker control of the workplace. We have experts. We have done this for our lifetime. We, are, we know the streets. We know this workplace, and we know exactly what we're doing. We are very good at what, what we do. We should be listening to these thousands of workers, especially in A2 Local 308, the 241 of 308, the, the unions that predominantly run the CTA. Very powerful organizations. We need to listen to those workers, and you'll hear from several in a moment, about how we can actually transform. One of the things I think several people in this line will agree with, immediately you talk about smoking on the... I heard a few things on on the rail and so on. Bring back the rail conductor, right? It is so unsafe for a thousand human lives that are on this train for eight cars and you have one combined rail operator, right? This is so unsafe. You know, bring bring back instead of pushing us down the street, I'm gonna I've been a bus operator for 17 years instead of stealing our break time at the end of the run, which happens right there, by the way, at 93, at the end of the, the line there, instead of just squeezing us, this 567 West Lake Street where they have their headquarters at CTA, and they have hundreds of people that are wasting our resources by squeezing us. They have human resources departments. They have labor relations departments. It's all a complete waste. right? They're, they're, what we need is professional bus operators, professional cleaners, professional combined rail operators, our families, our retirees, and we need some buses and some fuel. The community and the, and the workers can do the rest. So I, so enough of this halfway measures, this weak sauce. Get the truth, demand it, and have a revolution in public transportation.
2: Any, any responses to that, Cam and Linda?
3: Right on. It wasn't a question, but right on.
2: I'm with you, brother. I'm,
5: I'm, I'm with you 100%. Bring back those conductors.
3: That's what I was saying. It's like you got to
5: hire some people to to make this work. You can't do it, in my humble opinion, and I'm not the governor or the state rep candidate that has to come up with the money. I realize that. You can't do this on the cheap. If you're going to invest in something, you got to invest in it. It's like saying you're going to grow your public school system by closing 50 schools. Mm.
4: Yeah, and I, I like the point of also coming together like you spoke to workers like align with communities and I think that's really powerful language because there are a lot of people here in community groups there's ca- examples here of campaigns that, at the neighborhood level that have you know fought for like 31st street bus or like 157 so yeah like there's a lot of potential for coalitions with workers I think there is some disconnect sometimes I don't know if yeah we all know what workers are experiencing experiencing at the CTA so I think that's really important
2: all right.
7: Next question.
2: Now, others. Now,
7: in Washington D.C., just fairly recently, they just made all their public buses, all their public buses, like their version of the CTA, free to all their citizens. What are the odds of Chicago doing that, making the CTA buses free to our citizens, like they did in Washington D.C.? Their whatever their little local city government in Washington D.C. They just did fairly recently, like I said, made it all public buses free to the citizens of Washington D.C. Or if you go visit, or if you're a tourist,
0: it's free. Hmm. Uh, i not
3: aware of that. Yeah. So yeah, I, D.C. has a bit of a different ability to do some things than we do because they're the federal city, right? Uh, and so the federal government um, uh, being able to directly fund some of this stuff makes it easier but listen I, I think the conversation about universal basic mobility needs to happen um, we talk about basic income and those things and those are important conversations too but um you know th- there there are some uh, efforts afoot to make sure that you know all CPS kids are getting not just reduced fares but free rides um we know about um the senior free rides that were around when that guy was governor what's his name um
8: <laughs> <Regardless. laughs>
3: And uh, I mean, these are these are conversations that we should be having about um, uh, mobility being a basic human right in this city. I just don't know what it what it costs. I don't know um, if the agency today is ready to do that, but I think that we should beg that question.
4: Yeah, and I think that I think the conversation around free transit was at a different place before the pandemic. I, I did see some momentum in that that report that I co wrote. Um, we did talk about free fares, and I think now with the added financial challenges the fare box recovery show I think that'd be a tougher conversation I still do think that uh, like free fares for youth I think is a really exciting and it, it makes sense to me um I think the I, I it's it was an idea a lot of people were more into I'm seeing a I, I'm seeing more people with the language around like well like it's not about free transit it's about frequent frequent transit frequent e- efficient transit and I I do, think, I do think there's something to that language. Um, if it's free, I would hope that it also runs well, and if it doesn't, then I would rather have it run well. Um, <laughs> but I think there's still like debate about that conversation. I think, uh, yeah, I, I think a lot of, there's a lot of different camps on, on free transit.
2: All right, you got a question?
9: I have a question for Mr. Buckner. I'm a CTA worker. I repair choo-choo trains. We have some, we have an operator here, another operator. We have a retired switchman here. We have uh, Eric Slater. He was uh, fired by the CTA in a plan with uh, the local 241 president, Keith Hill. Uh, And they set him up and they put him, basically uh, fired him, set him up illegally. And they're getting away with it. My question for you, uh, you say the CTA needs to show its worth in order to be funded. Um, for you, tell tell the people what the politicians, you people, have been doing over the past forty years I'm regarding CTA I'm funding. I'm thirty-eight yeah, but you inherit a seat, I did yeah, 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 but you and in, you inherit a seat, so, so w- you know what 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 have you been and then I've got a, a little statement uh, to make. so first of all, thank
3: for all of those um, folks who work within the agency. want to just reiterate you guys are absolutely essential workers, and I want to thank you all for what you do for the city, first off. Uh, and that somebody's gonna clap for that, please clap for that so. I didn't say that CTA needs to show his worth. I said that the agency and the administration, the the, the CTA brass, needs to show what they're going to do differently, what they're going to do differently as far as reliability, what they're they're going to do differently as far as uh, the folks who they employ, and how um, the agency is going to be prepared to shift the paradigm and to be at the tip of the spear on how transit operates in this country. I think, once again, Chicago doesn't need an example on how to get it right. We should be the example on how to get it right for folks around the country. So, oh. who are these high? You said they, the people they're
9: hiring. So, what does that mean when you say that? Pardon me? You said it's the, the
3: people that they are hiring. What do you mean by that? I don't know. I said the people who run the CTA needs, need to show that they have a plan to do a better job one, with reliability and service, two, in making sure that employees of CTA feel like they're a part of the conversation, to feel like they have, they have safety. Because I've got folks who come to my office, uh-huh. who work with CTA, who say, "Listen, we don't feel safe. We don't feel listened to. Uh, we've got issues with um, not being able to use the restroom on our routes. Yeah. Like all of these things, right?" So when I when I talk about, did you shipping, know there's
9: homelessness? Do you
3: know I have coworkers that are homeless I, I, and I they can't can pay that. their bills? I could believe but that. But did you know that? I did not know that. No, now I'm that. letting you know. I'm listening.
9: Okay, I'm a I'm a local 308 union steward. That means I volunteer Mm -hmm. on my time off. And I go and I talk and I listen to my coworkers. Mostly black men and women, Latino. Generations of poverty in part-time jobs. Imagine this, everybody. You just got a job at the CTA, congratulations. You get to pick a two-week vacation. Oh, but it's unpaid. We have ex-felons working years doing the work of full-timers but at $15 an hour through a program that you people in Springfield fund called the Second Chance Program. It ain't second chance. It's second class. Every week, every month I'm getting calls from these people that are getting burned up. And then they get written up with a goddamn two-year safety violation. A two-year safety violation sits on your record for two years. Three of them, you're fired. And then they tell the people, because you got a safety violation, you can't promote to full-time. I got full-time co-workers. A part-time co-worker's been part-time for 10 years, goddammit, 10 years, serving this city through the pandemic. And all you politicians do is sit there and grovel. And you say, well, we need more cameras and we need more. No, we need full-time jobs for all at the CTA in the 2024 contract. And you all better back us up. And don't you betray us like those goddamn progressives did with the railroad workers. Y'all sold them out. You talk and you talk and you talk sweet. All you liberal politicians, I don't care you say MAGA MAGA, you're all the same to us, because we're dying out here. And my co-workers have given everything to serve the people. And the politicians do nothing but give our money to these banks, and these wars, and this prison industrial complex. Jails and police He's, this man sitting here trying to tell you we need to do a network of cameras Don't you understand dear riders that these cameras are used to harass and punish us one of my bus operator co-workers a woman It was hot and she stopped her bus at the light as per the rules and she got a drink of water And somebody called her in. And they fired her. Fired her. And they called it accelerated discipline. So there was no step. We're supposed to have stages for it. They just got rid of her. And then if you speak up like me, or like Eric, or like Andre and the others here, the union leadership, who tell the people to vote for you guys, Help the CTA mismanagement punish us. So we don't don't believe these politicians. I want to tell you something real quick, and I'm going to end it. The CTA mismanagement has been dismantling the Chicago Transit Authority for 40 years. They did two major things. The first thing in 1997, and it was mentioned, was the elimination of two-person crews. Elimination of conductors on the rail. The second part was in 2012. They instituted this customer service assistant program and opened the doors for part-time jobs. Pension-killing part-time jobs that keep the people who serve you in poverty. So here you're thinking we're making tons of money in that booth, driving that train or that bus. We're not. We're poor. And listen to this. We'll make too much money eventually to get Medicaid, but we won't have enough for insurance. So you'll be like me when I was part-time. I got dropped. My wife got dropped. But I was making too much because I was still part-time. These smokers. Look at the trains. Pay attention. Eight-car trains, blue and red lines. Eight cars. It wasn't like that growing up. Ben, you remember, there would sometimes be two-car trains, four-car trains, but there'd be two-person crews. Of course you're going to have people smoking and robbing and pooping and peeing all over the trains. You don't need eight cars all day, all night. Have four cars with two-person crews. But we got to fight for that. Look at the... uh, uh, one hundred billion dollars for the war in Ukraine, mm-hmm. and the politicians are going to tell us, "Well, we we don't have the money. Uh, we're going to have to CTA is going to have to show themselves, improve who they really are, if they're really going to manage the system." No, just stop spending money on the prisons and the wars. So much, so much money. Right. I'm, I'm I'm done. I'm done. Y'all want y'all want to change the CTA? Y'all want it to work? We need full time jobs for all two-person crews, support us, we'll be protesting, support coworkers, we'll pass the flyers out, but we're gonna need all of y'all to start stepping up and organizing your neighborhoods and your workplaces. We must build for a general strike in this city, in every city in the United States of America, because these politicians ain't giving you nothing. They're just gonna sell you out.
2: All right, uh, look, I just want to say, y'all, we're at a bar. So after the program concludes at 8.30, everybody is more than welcome to stick around, keep talking, keep meeting each other, and talking about the work you're doing, the organizing you're doing. I just want to please ask everybody that's still standing in line, keep your, keep, please ask a question and, and keep it concise so everyone has a chance. Um, go ahead.
7: Thanks, Maya. This is a question, I'll try to keep it. short. Uh, Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, Thanks to the previous speaker for the specific ideas. Uh, My name is Jeremy Wolf. I live in the 33rd Ward, and I have a business in the 35th Ward, and I'm also an Uber driver a lot, also a lot downtown. I'm a transit rider and cyclist and a driver. So the talk started with the statement that we're at an inflection point for change. So I have two related questions about the change we need. One is about getting that bottom-up change, and the other is the top-down change. Uh, so about the bottom up change, Cam, you said that sh- Chicago should create an example that we should we should be create something new, and be the example. So my experience is a little bit more about driving as opposed to transit, but I think it applies equally to transit on a parallel track. Um, so for example, a year ago there was a sign missing downtown in Chicago where I Uber every day, and so I did a three one one request, and it never got resolved. So I, I, I sent Alderman Riley an email, and it never got resolved. I sent the, the city Diozida uh, an email, which never got resolved. And so my bottom-down approach of trying to get the change was never able to, to get done. And as the previous speaker had lots of ideas, that he might want to have a system to give anonymously, there's no system to give ideas to a specific accountable person where there's a specific person, that's their region, that's their station, or that's their route, that you can give feedback. And if, and they have to reply to you in a certain amount of time. And if that is not done, you have a system to appeal. Who is the person that, for my example, my problem, where no matter who I've contacted, it hasn't been resolved. The sign is still not there. And who, what should I do? What's my next step? And for anybody who has a good idea from the bottom-down approach, what is their best way to get a specific thing done. They have a specific person that they know that was fired wrongly. What is the specific thing they should do? They, if their alderman's not answering, 311 doesn't answer, they email the department, is there anything short of a lawsuit that they can do?
3: I don't know. Um, listen, I think that's part of the problem, right? I mean, um, obviously I don't serve in municipal government, I'm, I'm on the state level, but um, the fact that you are reaching out and you're not getting a response um, that, that you have a very specific issue that needs to be addressed and it's not being addressed, that's problematic. That That is a government that's not working uh, for its people, right? And so uh, there are cities around the country who have really tried to be innovative and find new ways to deliver answers to the people who live there. Uh, I think Chicago is way behind the eight ball on all of this. I think, once again, this is um, obsolete models and antiquated way of thinking that we've operated in here. Uh, and I think that the Johnson administration has an opportunity to change that, to change the way that government interfaces with people. Uh, and so you will never have to stand up here again and say, you know, I, I 311, I emailed, I called, and no one gave me anything. Because the truth of the matter is that uh, if government is not being responsive to you, then government is not effective. And so like I, said, I don't want to speak for city government or for the Johnson administration, but there is a, a lot of opportunity there to, to change that. Um, unfortunately, your situation is the norm. I hear that from a lot of people, and that shouldn't be the way things are going. I don't have an answer to that, though. I
10: think
4: well, Linda does not work for the city, so she cannot answer your question. Uh, but let's get the next
2: question. Uh, we got to keep it moving. I'm sorry. You can stick around, though, and ask your question after, after, the, um,
10: after other people have a chance. Hi, I'm Morgan Matterham. Um, I work with Commuter Stake Action, and I work at the 40th Ward Office. I get in trouble if I don't answer every constituent's email, but not all theirs are like that. Um, my question is quite similar, but it's coming more from my position, and I'm really interested in the transition talks. This uh, one's for you, Cam, again. Um, in, in, both in my experience in Commuters Take Action and in the Ward Office, the CTA is one of the most unresponsive departments. We can't get a straight answer until the meeting the moment plan published last fall. Um, There was no communication with Alders, let alone the public, so I'm wondering what the conversations are around that, Um, making the CTA more accountable to the people who are elected and hear the complaints. We have writers, we have operators reach out to us all the time, and I have no good way to communicate with the CTA. There's one person who's a PR person, that's who communicates with us. And I'm also wondering um, what the conversation is around changing the CTA leadership, firing Dorval Carter, the president, which many have called for.
3: I can say from um, uh, experience and from conversations that Morgan is a responsive and, and she does a great job over there in 44 um, with uh, Alderman Vasquez. Uh, so the I'll, I'll start with the first thing. Um, the transition team is going to uh, put forth a white paper memo uh, Friday uh, that um, kind of surmises everything that we talked about and we talked about not just the CTA. We, we talked about transportation as a as a whole. So, you know, there's O'Hare is in there, and, and and the aviation pieces of it. We talked about protect, protected bike lanes and and those things that uh, I know you and I have had conversations about uh, in the past. Um, but another piece of that is CTA accountability. What does it look like, right? How how do people um, voice their concerns and then be able to show um, that things have changed? Uh, unfortunately, CTA has been. Um, a, a agency that as you said Morgan has not responded not just to the people of Chicago uh, not just uh, not to um, folks like you who are trying to get answers for your constituents uh, but think about this and this may dovetail into your last question um, we have had a, a, a CTA administration who has refused to talk to my friend Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez and Andre Vasquez and the members of the City Council um, which to me is is uh, deplorable Uh, When you look at how important of an agency this is for Chicago and so um, There will be some things in that transportation uh, white paper or memo Whatever report that we're putting together uh, that will talk about that accountability. The last part is that um, part of the edict of uh, The mayor to the transition team is that we could not get into personnel conversations Um, We were asked to put together a plan for what? Uh, Improved transit and transportation in Chicago look like, um, but I can say without getting into personnel uh, conversations that uh, we made it very. We will, we will make it very clear once we put out our, our report um, what type of leadership CTA needs, and I think I've been very clear about it. But we don't, it ain't working. <laughs> Need a change.
4: Can I add something? Yeah. Uh, I, I think also I think part of the question is who do you talk to. I think part of it's a little bit more intangible than that. Like sometimes there is no one for you to reach, and I, I mean that's definitely part of the problem. And I think I, I think a lot about also like the advocacy that's gone on, like the creativity behind different campaigns. Like I think looking at the Little Village Environmental Justice um, Organization and what they were doing for the 31st Street Bus Campaign is really interesting. And it wasn't only about let me find who in government I can talk to. It was about having creative actions, you know, like bike ride I think it was one there was a bike ride through the route that they envisioned needed to serve their community like the 31st street bus like this is the route we want so it's not they weren't necessarily targeting someone but they were making noise they were in some way like trying to get people to see their vision so I think part of organizing activism has to go beyond like who do I talk to in government to help me and I think I think you, like broadening that idea is really important because sometimes there probably won't, won't be someone for you to reach and they might not listen. <laughs> um, so I, I do like looking at some creative examples of organizing locally and nationally. Like what have people done creatively to, to change transportation? All right,
10: go ahead.
8: Hello everybody, my name is Andre Thompson. I'm from 103rd Street Garage. I've been a bus operator for CTA for over 34 years. I got 30 years full-time. And these people in the room with me, this young lady got 32 full-time years. And i just like to make a statement. If we have a problem, you all have a problem. I'm just keeping it real. I'm going to make it simple. I'm not going to be long-winded. The CTA is not being managed properly with the company and with the employees. So Ken Buckner, I would like to ask you a question. If the CTA has been going downhill for some years, is it a reason that they had the same leadership? Because the city of Chicago changed leadership with mayors because it was a problem and she wasn't solving the problem. CTA is not solving none of the problems. They, they, They say they are or they make an effort to spend money they are, but they're not solving any problems. So is it reasonable? To stay with leadership that's not doing the correct thing for the people of Chicago and the employees.
3: As as someone who does not speak for the administration, I'm going to answer this question this way. My my, my personal feeling uh, is that you cannot continue to do things the way they we've been been doing them and expect some change, right? I, I think it starts at the top, uh, at the top, and I think that leadership has to reflect how important this is for the people of Chicago. I don't think right now we're there.
2: I guess, you know what, let me just interject here, and for those new to the show, Ben and I always reserve the right to, to cut in and ask some questions if we have some thoughts based on what people are asking. Who is CTA leadership actually accountable to? Like, the mayor uh, the mayor appoints them, so if it's the same leadership that's staying there, that means that they're making somebody happy, who are they making happy, and how are they making them happy?
3: Yeah, question. Well, I think. Listen, um, what we saw in the last administration uh, was that the CTA brass was uh, accountable to the mayor and the mayor only. Uh, and when you know President Carter decided he did not want to show up to city council meetings, um, that he didn't want to have conversations about um, uh, what the agency was doing, I think that was a slap in the face to the people of Chicago, um, and. You know, listen, I understand that uh, when new administrations come in, we expect different things. I I don't know what the mayor's plan is with the current uh, CTA president, but I think those of us who ride the system, those of us who operate the system, um, those of us who are even just on the outside looking in, can fairly say that we need a change, we need a shift, we need a paradigm shift. Once again, what is happening is not working. Uh, and if the system is going to change, if the agency is going to change, if the city is going to change the way we operate in a transit space, the leadership has to reflect that.
2: Just real quick. Just
8: real quick. I'd like to let everybody know that as the employees at the CTA, uh, that frontline employees of bus and rail, they are at an all-time low. Their morale, and I also like to make a statement to Ken. It CTA have hundreds of part-time jobs. That's not good for nobody here. It's it's unsafe. The workers are unhappy. And if they unhappy, it creates a problem with the riders. So that can, you know, get with the day one team, brother, and learn some stuff. We can teach you. That's right.
5: You you know, part of the problem is that uh, in the last administration, it's funny to call it the last administration, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the, the CTA like when the city council tried to move on the CTA, Alderman Vasquez and Alderman Rodriguez, etc., it was viewed as like an insurrection against the mayor. This is how we think things in Chicago. Well, this is not your role, so you shouldn't come to the city council to have this role. So one of the things that is happening in the city council, where's Dave, we were talking about this today, the city council is stepping forward more to assert itself. Uh, and uh, all the... Remember the last show we had where the aldermen said um, that they, uh, Alderman Taylor, Alderwoman Taylor said, and Alderwoman Haddon said, that as committee chairs, they would assert themselves on problems uh, that the city is facing so that it would be a legitimate legislative body. And this is clearly an example. The CTA has fallen apart for four years. The city council made moves to address it, uh, and they were rebuffed. It was viewed like a power grab. That's how Chicago views it. Not like approving the CTA, but a power grab. We can't allow the the, the, the aldermen to stand up to the mayor. So I'm, I'm hoping, Cam, Cam, I know you don't speak for Mayor Johnson. You've been saying that a hundred times. You wanted to speak for Mayor if y'all uh, wanted Buck me
6: to or, be mayor, y'all should have yeah. just elected
3: me. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh,
5: yeah, you're getting all the heat. You didn't even get the, the prize. <laughs> But uh, uh, Rosanna's here, and she, I, I'm hoping the city council. She's heard me on this subject a million times. We really will step forward and use it. Like you could have hearings. You could bring in these CTA employees. You could have them testify, and and you could f- embarrass the head of the CTA. But it was a disgrace. I'm with you. The way they treated, just the notion that like no, we can't be bothered to have the CTA. That he answers to the mayor, not the alderman. And that's like that attitude that, ha- that we have here in Chicago.
3: So anyway. Two cents on
2: that. Uh, next question.
3: Hi, my name is Robert. I'm a bus operator for CTA for about seven years now. Uh, my question to Cam Buckner is uh, we got a new mayor, that's great. Uh, hopefully we get a new CTA president because our uh, morale is very low at CTA CTA has a very toxic work environment from the frontline workers to people that you see everyday, the train operators the bus operators, to the people that you don't see everyday like my coworker here Eric who fixes and repairs the train, so my question is you may be able to answer it for the mayor you may not, do you guys support a new transit board as well as a new uh, as well as a new uh, president so, once again, not speaking for the administration, speaking for uh, myself, um, I've been very clear that the CTA board needs to have people uh, on that board who, once again, um, can move that system forward. Um, the mayor gets to appoint those people, and, and and that's something that the mayor, whoever the mayor is, cannot take lightly. Uh, I also pushed really hard on the Lightfoot administration to bring back um, the advisory board with folks who actually ride the system. right? I think one of my biggest issues with many members of this current board and uh, the president is that these folks are not normal riders. Uh, and what I've always said is that uh, you're a pretty terrible cook if you won't eat your own food. Right? Uh, and, and so it, it's hard to fix it when you don't know what's going on. Right. And so I think that there does need to be um, folks uh, appointed to this board uh, who actually understand uh, the system, who understand the issues that you all who work in this uh, agency every single day are dealing with. Uh, and that's the only real way, I think, to appropriately move the system
11: forward.
2: All right. If somebody's got a question for Linda, you can come to the front of the line. All right.
11: <laughs> I do, I promise. Cool. <laughs> hey, uh, my name is Jess. I use they, them pronouns. I live in Uptown. I use the red Um, And I love Chicago. Uh, I also love New York. And whenever I'm in New York, I always think, thank God our system is not like theirs because this illusion of us not living in a police state is completely dispelled when you ride the subway in New York because there are cops everywhere because that is what Eric Adams has done. And Jordan Neely lost his life very recently, uh, and he was murdered. I shouldn't say he lost his life. Um, and there are lots of Jordan Neelys who get murdered monthly in transit systems. They are just not filmed on cell phones. And this is something that I think about here, especially as folks are complaining about homeless folks that they're seeing on the train. And I, re- I rode the red line here today, and I could like, sense the fear of folks we are afraid of folks who are homeless on the train, right? Um, and I, this question's especially to Linda because you spoke of LA's plan, but I'd also love to hear um, from Representative Cam uh, as well. I know uh, Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez was instrumental in passing um, really not our trauma. treatment on trauma, and I am so afraid of another Jordan Neely happening in Chicago i feel like it's a ticking time bomb so i would love this panel to speak to what's happening to help dispel that are we getting social workers on the trains rather than cops what is the plan for that
4: yeah yeah i think that that story really struck me i was very i was definitely very affected by it for a little bit just seeing the the brutality of it also the the viral aspect of it uh, and, and just Twitter being what it is now. I tried my best not to see that video, but it was like everywhere regardless, like unrecommended. So it, it was just like an awful story and uh, the language that kind of surrounded it too, immediately, even from the governor of New York, kind of, there was language around like blaming Jordan Neely. Eyes, it, it was terrible, like from the mayor and from the governor. Um, so it's definitely something that I think about. I I think about, I think when we when we're talking about uh, transit and feeling unsafe and like seeing people sleeping on the train, um, and I see it all the time. I just try to ignore it and just kind of go about my day. And if I feel unsafe, I go to another another train car. Um, so I, I always get reluctant with anything that's gonna suggest more police on transit because I I know that there's some people that'll never be safe if there's police, like black people. Uh, I just and, and I think it becomes really difficult is because people want to want to know, well, okay, how do you keep people safe then? And, um, and I think there are no perfect solutions. I, I think I am intrigued by the transit amb- ambassadors idea that has, there's been in different cities and I think social workers, um, I do have a lot of social work friends. So even that, I think there's like good questions to ask, like how do you also keep them safe? How do you also make sure that they're paid well because they're very underpaid? <laughs> My social work friends.
11: <laughs> yeah.
4: so I, I think there's some really valid questions of. I think social workers are a core component. I, I I feel like it should also be very important too. Like, how do you pay them well? How do you train them well? And, um, but I again that that takes such it, it takes a, kind of being a visionary to some degree because it's it's very hard to imagine. For a lot of people, social work on the train—it's very difficult to imagine—and a lot of people will probably dismiss that idea. But I, I do think if we want safety on transit, then we have to see trans—we have to see who else who else can be part of transit to keep it running well, to keep it safe. Besides, like transit workers, which they can't be everything either—they they can't fix all these issues. And even though I agree with like needing to address labor issues as well. like It's a big problem if they're not full-time and other ways that they're being exploited, um, but they can't do everything. And there's just so, m- I, think, I think the language around like that transit kind of, you see all the social issues in the city on transit. And, and I think that's why we need to think about more holistically of how many people we need on these transit systems addressing a lot of those issues.
3: Just thank you for that question. It's, I'm just thinking about it now, it, it the, the videos like, videos go viral for one of two reasons, right? One, because they're so unbelievable that you could never imagine it happening, or they're so believable that you could see it happening tomorrow right in front of your face. And for me, the Jordan Neely e. video was the second one, right? Um, as you said, it, it is a powder keg, it's a ticking time bomb, it could happen any day on Chicago transit. If it has not already happened, we just don't know about it. Um, so the, the answer to that has to be true investment in alternative forms of dealing with issues like this. As you noted, the older woman has been a staunch advocate talking to anybody who will listen um, about treatment, not trauma, right? And it, it's important for us not just to you know talk about it Uh, and and pay lip service to it, but to actually do this work and invest in it, we will quickly see the dividends, right? What also is true, we've got to put our money where our mouth is. What the last administration did was put out a $70 million contract for security guards on the CTA and another $30 million contract for German shepherds, right? Right? Now, my mother grew up in Mississippi in the 1960s and 50s, and so she won't get on the rail line when she sees those dogs because they remind her of something else. But we can't find a way to put money into putting two-person crews. It's problematic. And so it's really about investing where we're supposed to and putting our money where our mouth is.
2: Right. next question.
1: Linda and Cam, uh, at the same time that... CTA is being portrayed as being in this existential crisis. Uh, We're in a time when the Green New Deal concepts are taking hold in a lot of grassroots organizing. And when the United States Congress almost passed uh, Build Back Better, did pass an infrastructure bill. Um, And so I want to ask about long-term vision. Uh, It's been 30 years since the last new transit line in Chicago, exactly 30 years, the orange line. Um, After the, this is after the completion of the extension of the red line to 130th Street, what, in your humble opinions, uh, would be a great next new transit rail project in Chicago, Uh, you know, significant extension or a new line um what or what's out what concepts are out there that you like
4: yeah I have a few ideas um and actually one of like something I did I remember in high school I grew up in Hermosa like what um like Beaumont Cregan area so I think another way like that I became interested in like oh why don't we have trains (laughs) so that's why I always rode the bus so There's been, like, different projects I've seen online where people have, like, suggested different ways that, oh, like, expanding transit that way. Or um, I know there's been, like, some projections, like, oh, like, a train across Cicero Avenue. So there's been, like, different ideas that I see online. Um, I mean, that would be great just having grown up somewhere where there was no transit, like, no trains. Um, I also really believe in buses as, like, a really core part of... uh, my vision. Um, I've been really, I I really like the activism that's been going on around buses. Um, Just having grown up somewhere where buses were so essential, and I think when we look at the way that the pandemic played out, like, buses never lost as much ridership as, like, the trains, and I think that really shows, like, black and brown people, like, essential workers, how much they rely on buses. Um, So I, I do think there's something to also the momentum I've seen around, like, bus activism, the way that it... There's something that really it, it like cuts deeply at people that people resonate. Um, so I I do really want there to be even more work around buses and because um, I think that there's also a lot of potential to think about like local connections to buses and I think when I think of the campaigns that I've mentioned um, around like transit they've been like kind of bus focused and very local like 31st Street bus little village. Uh, Like the 157 North Laundale and how like that was really important for the community. Um, So I do want trains, but I I do, I'm a big proponent for just more, more workaround buses, like um, bus rapid transit, bus only lanes. That'd be great. (laughs) Uh, More express buses too. Like I love the Western Express. It's great. (laughs) It's so fast. But I mean, there's like so, (laughs) there's so few examples of that.
3: Um, so th- thank you for the question. I think it's appropriate. Somebody I saw on Instagram earlier, I'm not sure who here posted it, but that today is the birthday of the first elevated line in Chicago, uh, June 6, 1892 or something. Um, so happy birthday to the L. Uh, <laughs> listen, I, I, I think that we have to have a visionary outlook when it comes to um, all of this growth and this development, I think the CTA needs to once again be a catalyst for growth, um, not just economic but for people growth and how this city moves in the right direction and we need to be looking at what, what our um, next frontier is going to be uh, you know, post the, the red line extension and, and way too much conversation or time has been spent on the red line extension and we've lost some of the other pieces of the puzzle and I, I grew up on the other side of the red line where we had you no know, um, no training, so that extension will be helpful for my community that I grew up in. Um, but we know at at, the, at at best, it's going to take a decade to get there. Uh, and so, what are we doing in that space? And so, one, I think we got to do a better job of integrating what's already there with with Metro where we can. Um, I've talked a lot about the Metro um, the, the the fair integration program. I fought for it in Springfield. We pushed a, a resolution through the General Assembly this year that would make that would in. in Entice CTA to be a part of this, so that's a big deal. Uh, but also, like, let's be visionary and bold, right? Um, I like the conversations about the Circle Line. Like, that's just like, let's. What can we do differently, man? Right? Um, let's be intrepid. I think we also should have a conversation about uh, how do you create uh, a pathway from, uh, you know, Union Station or Ogilvy Station to O'Hare. The tracks are already there through Metro, right? What can CTA do to help? that happened right so there's a lot of things there but um Linda's absolutely right uh we should absolutely be focusing right now on things we can do in the in the, in the immediate as well and bus rapid transit is in there I ride up and down Ashland and I just cry right because there's so much opportunity there and the, the 13 buses that run up and down Michigan Avenue with no dedicated bus lane it's insanity all right so we could do better
2: All right, we have time for one more question, so keep it short and you all keep your answers short. And then, uh, like I said, please stick around afterwards, continue the conversation. Um, This is a bar that's open late, so take advantage of y'all's presence here uh, and, and joining together around these issues. Go ahead. you better
3: make it good. <laughs> no, pressure. no pressure, brother. No pressure. <laughs> thank you, Maya.
0: Um, yeah. All right. I was already hoping before I got on this mic that I made any sense because I've I've had a, a drink or two while I've been in line. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you all for being here um, and uh, and uh, having this discussion with us. Um, so there is going to be a preamble to this question. I apologize, Maya. um uh, I I I wanted to to uh, oh my god I swear to God I like get a microphone in front of me and I like black out so I hope this makes sense so very sorry thank you <laughs> um uh, I wanted to call back to a question that came up earlier in the many hours um, ago where before this Q and A session um, <clears throat> where we were talking about smoking on uh, train cars. And, um, you know, when we were talking about, like, what's, uh, how do we deal with this? How do we, because it's clearly, like, you know, it's an issue that many people have with the transit system, and it makes it, uh, less pleasant for a lot of people who are not trying to inhale smoke, uh, to use a train. Um, and I think I noticed, I don't know, to me, personally, it seemed like it was a bit of a hard question to answer, um, and... I think that questions like this are hard to answer when you think of issues in a silo when you think of um, you know cleanliness or safety or whatever issue on public transit as limited to the 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 place that it's in and limited to the issue that it's connected to and so I think like you know uh, <clears throat> for me like I, I you know like um I had an I, like the other day I was on the train and someone was smoking just sparked up a cigarette just there, right? And um I, I don't wanna make it seem like uh this is an issue that's only um like I don't wanna scapegoat like unhoused people for this uh because I don't think that they're the only people smoking on the on the red line on the train. But um I do think, like, this particular person that I, I watched smoke a cigarette, um, like, she had, you know, large bags full of stuff that was all clearly hers, and, like, she was wearing a bunch of clothes. Like, she clearly, like, was on the train for shelter, right? And, um, and I was, like, I, I was, like, I, you know, I have no, I, like, I can't, I can't tell her to do something else, really, because, like, what am I gonna tell her to do? Get off the train? Get, go smoke on the platform, you know. Like you're more like you're more likely to get arrested smoking on the platform than you are on the train itself. And if you're if that's where you're living, if that's where you're finding shelter, and you're addicted to cigarettes, you know, I I have cigarettes in my pocket right now. Um, I'm also I, I'm dealing with the same thing, and like you know, you can't. Uh, it's a thing that you need. Um, and so. Um, I guess, like, I think for me, this question is not something that you can solve without uh, talking about the connection of public transit and housing justice. Um, so, alright, I promised you a question. <laughs> My question is, how do you see the issues um, with public transit connected to other issues Um in Chicago that people are experiencing. And um, yeah, how do you see it being the a contributor to other issues and how do you see it being like issues on the CTA being the result of other issues in Chicago? Thank you.
2: Yeah, short answers to, only. Short. Answer.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I, I think a lot of this is part of it's like, it's gonna be dissatisfying because I, I think you're right where we're trying to f- talk about transit in a silo but like I said, with my story, like how I came to transit was not through transit; it was through housing. Like we were talking about displacement, and we were talking about how transit-oriented development—like people were talking about that—and yeah, I, I think you're right. With uh, I, I think we want a short-term solution. It would be like yeah, police on every car, just like taking everyone out. But that's not that's not feasible. It's not sustainable. It's also not equitable. So I, I, I think yeah, I mean those things are definitely housing issues like why are people using these train cars as places to sleep I mean that's a city that has a hi- housing crisis um, and it goes back it's also connected to like what we're seeing with migrants I, I really like what how some people have tried to reframe the conversation around like well that's a housing crisis and I, I think that's a very good way to look at it so I think part of it's going to be dissatisfying because if you want short-term solutions I don't think there are short-term, so, short-term solutions to For the train cars not to smell like smoke like smoking uh i don't don't think there are short-term solutions i think there's obviously people have identified long-term ones with like there's labor issues that are really integral to this there's ridership issues there's housing issues like i think transportation is kind of like this microcosm like of all the social issues in the city and that's not a there's not no short-term way to solve that (laughs) um
3: I think we end this conversation the way we began it, right? And that's acknowledging, once again, the intersectionality of transit, but also acknowledging that transit can either be a tool or a weapon. And in much of the history of this city, it has been used not to bring people together, but to divide divide people, right? And so I think what we see on our trains and on our buses every single day is Um, the results of our action or inaction for years uh, coming to fruition. And so when we talk about housing and mental health services and public safety uh, and and education and and all of these things that converge on our rails and on our buses, uh, it should give us a blueprint on how to move forward. Transit is a human rights issue, which is why we see so many human rights issues occurring uh, on our system, I remind you all that the modern-day civil rights movement caught fire from the front of yeah. a public bus in Montgomery, Alabama, in December of 1955. This microcosm that we talk about is not new. We just got to start paying more attention, and so uh, we can't look at these things in silos. We have to be able to operate. As far as the city is concerned, um, the the seven sister agencies that exist within. Uh, Chicago CPD uh, CPS the the libraries the parks um, need to be able to work with CTA that one sister agency that I think touches everything in this city uh, to create a, a better future for us right and we can't just have transit be something on the back burner that we're only paying attention to every once in a while this has to be at the forefront of the conversation if Chicago is going to be better
2: all right, uh, let's give our guests a hand. Thank you to everybody for coming out tonight. This was a, a great conversation. We love to see you all out here. Thank you to Nighthawk for hosting us. Uh, let's give them a hand. If if you got a ticket online beforehand and in. We thank you so much for coming out and uh, sharing your love. If you came without a ticket, if you enjoyed what you saw, Howard's out here with a donation jar, if you if you feel so inclined. Um, first Tuesdays is on Instagram at first underscore Tuesdays, so please give us a follow there. We are also on Facebook at First Tuesdays Chicago. Give us a follow there uh we will not have a july show because it's july 4th the first tuesday of july is july 4th so we're all going to be enjoying fireworks or not enjoying them or whatever it is that we do on july 4th but we won't be having a first tuesday show but we will be back in august Uh, we'll have an education show in august in september we've got a show on the hundred days of the brandon johnson administration We've got a lot more packed uh, for the rest of the year. Uh, we've already got our plans. Um, and So follow us on social media to see what that schedule will look like. And please continue to uh, drink at this wonderful bar, uh, talking to each other, meeting each other. And um, if your uh, friends wanted to come and didn't, let them know to follow the Ben Jarofsky show for the uh, audio of the conversation yeah. in a few days. Anything else, Ben?
5: That's it. I'll see you guys in August.